Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. If those of you who don't know, all of you know, Zoe and I had, Zoe had her, our baby. Um, woo! Proud and very happy to say that uh, Zoe is healthy and whole, baby is healthy and whole, no real issues. Our little baby daughter, Margot Elaine, was born January 5th, just after 11 p.m. Came in at a uh, healthy 10 pounds, 15 ounces. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Everybody's good, though. Everybody's healthy. I'm going to try and swipe a music stand. Sorry, Merce. Man, now I know why. Now I know what it's like to be Glenn. Always stealing people's stands. Uh, yeah, so that's our little update. I haven't been here. We haven't been in a little while. Uh, obviously, we're adjusting to new family life. Um, but I miss you guys. I am not built, and you guys can ask Zoe this next time you see her, I'm not built to be at home as much as I have been like it's great. And obviously there's lots to learn with a new baby and lots to help Zoe with, but I'm on my paternity leave with Zoe as well on her maternity leave. And I, I, I'm not built for it. Like I gotta be doing something. It's so hard for me to just be at home and like, we're starting to find a little bit of a rhythm now. So we've got a pretty good idea of when I help Zoe with certain things and when Zoe's just doesn't need me. And the reality is, especially for those of you uh, who are parents, um, especially when you're the mom, you just have more to do than a dad. Like you're just more, you're just responsible for more stuff. So there's only so much I can do to help, which really itches at me because I want to be like, what do I need to do? What can I do? What else do I need to help with? And sometimes once you get that rhythm and you find out that groove a little bit, uh, there's only so much that can be done. So I'm at home a lot. And on top of, you know, having the baby and being on leave and not being at work, it's also still you know, a pandemic with most stuff still closed or whatever else. So it's not like there's loads for me to go do anyway. Uh, so I have been itching to get back here because this is one of the few things that we still can do. And obviously I love being here. I love contributing to what we're doing here at Cascade. I love seeing you guys. I love being here on Sundays and being able to play on worship team and whatever else. So I'm, I'm just happy to be back. I know Zoe really wants to be back. Um, she was going to try and make it this morning. She still might. She texted me 15 minutes ago asking about a car seat issue. So she may to show up. We'll see. Um, but all of that to say, uh, I'm just really thankful that we're still gathering and I'm really thankful that I get to be here today. Um, I know that we have been starting our series in Ephesians and I've been listening through every week. Um, and the title is up there living a life of love. Um, I think Glenn came up with the real new deal. Steph, is that right? Oh, yeah, I'm not. That was a good idea. Uh, so this week, um, we're talking about living a life of love uh, in redemption. Uh, we're going to just continue through chapter one uh, as Glenn's been going. I know he left at verse five. 
uh, last Sunday. Um, so we are going to pick right up in verse six here in just a second. I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Does that sound good? Awesome. Jesus, thank you so much uh, that we get to gather. God, I pray that um, we give ourselves wholly to you, whether it's uh, in our worship, uh, in our finances, in our day-to-day life, whatever it might be. Um, God, everything that we do, we commit it to you. Not out of religious obligation or need to perform or some anxiety about whether or not you accept us, but out of a love response, out of a desire to say yes to you, Jesus. God, would you bless us this morning as we go through the text? Uh, Anything that's not of you, would you throw it out? And anything that is, would it land on good soil? Yeah. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be evident and present even through this time. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so living a life of love in redemption. That's my, that's my title this week. So if you guys, um, I think the next slide, Naomi will have the passage, actually. We can just jump right in there, and we'll, we'll read it through. So, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So, uh, again, I'm going to kind of take this slow. Okay, well, Glenn's doing like one or two verses at a time. I I don't have the bandwidth like the brain capacity, I'm not that smart. I can't sit here and exegetically break down two verses at a time. I need a little bit more. So four for me is like a small amount. Um, four is, I, this is me trying to take a page out of Glenn's book. And four, just doing four is, uh, is a challenge for me. And it's so much of a challenge for me that as I was preparing this week, uh, I sat with this text and I started getting a little irritated because I have this... Um, and maybe I'm alone in this. Maybe you guys don't do this at all because you're good Christians. But uh, I have this tendency to read the Bible and I'm like gunning for and trying to hunt the profound text. Like I have this deep desire, whether I'm preaching or not, like I'm looking for the next thing. Like if you look in my Bible, there's all kinds of stuff like circled. I'm looking for the profound text. I'm looking for that big word, that the bomb drop or whatever, because that's kind of how I am. Like I want to be able to say the, you know, the thing, the really the thing that lands. You know, I really, I, I have a desire to do that, um, and so I kind of read the Bible that way sometimes. And I've been recently challenged through one of the books I read, and and going away to this preacher school I was at in Redding, California, uh, a couple months ago, to slow down. And so as I was preparing this week, I started getting irritated. It's like six or seven. I just finished helping Zoe feed the baby and put the baby back to sleep. I was like, this is probably the only time I'm going to be able to work on the sermon because I brewed coffee. And speaking of, there they are. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, and I was like, okay, the baby's asleep. Zoe's going back to sleep. There's not a lot to do. This is my only chance to do it. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, I got to get my sermon written, or at least half of it. I've got to get a chunk of it done. 
And uh, I'm sitting through with the text, and I've been listening to Glenn's sermons, noticing how slow he's going. And again, it bores me to tears sometimes because I'm like, Glenn, get to the meat, man. Like, get. And what Glenn's really good is he, he, he finds it in the slowed down. He finds it in the minimal text. He finds it in the small stuff. So I'm getting impatient while I'm preparing, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't feel like I got nothing. I got nothing. And then, I, again, I, I recall this book I read. Um, it's called Reading While Black by Esau McCauley. It's, about, it's, a, it's really a theology book, um, but that's a different topic for another different time. But what he was talking about as far as studying Scripture, he had a quote in his book that said this, We adopt the posture of Jacob. He's talking about Jacob wrestling God in the Old Testament. So we adopt the posture of Jacob and refuse to let go of the text until it blesses us. Refuse. And this is profound. This is just a side tangent because I I can't help but share it. This is profound because this is from a black pastor who grew up in the South. And their approach to Scripture, even though they have had the Bible for the last 200 years used to be against them as a weapon, it's been weaponized against them, the black church grew up and said, we will sit with the text until it blesses us. We've had people use it and abuse it, but that's not how we're going to do it. And we live in our culture and society right now. People, I I think I said this last time I preached, people want to take parts of this that they don't like and throw it out and keep the parts that they do like. I think Glenn mentioned it in one of his sermons just in the last couple weeks. We get real choosy about which verses and which parts of the Bible we're okay with. But when you have a man with the lived experience of an Esau Macaulay, and he says, we sit with the text until it blesses us. And his reference is Jacob wrestling. I found myself needing to sit and wrestle for a while. (laughs) And so out of that, I started to see some of the stuff that Paul's communicating, and I've, I felt the Lord move, in, move my heart towards this thing of redemption. Because if we read that passage again, uh, you'll see the word uh, fulfillment and, and redemption. Uh, if you read the entire passage, it's in there uh, a lot. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And this is what I ended up finding out. In my effort to find the super profound word, I did what I think a lot of us Christians, especially us seasoned ones or the ones who've been around for a while, or well, I don't, uh, there's, there's a cheesy coined word for it. But those of us who have been church people, churchy people for a long time, we have this tendency, and I did it. This was me preparing this week, to gloss over the weight of the blood of Jesus and what it means. And I found myself needing to repent because I was sitting here getting irritated about, I can't find the profound word. And I suddenly got gripped and I was like, man, the blood of Jesus needs to still be profound in my life. Just because I've done church a lot and been here on a lot of Sundays and had a lot of spiritual experiences and done the conference highs and whatever else, you know, I'm seasoned, you know. I've been at this for a while. I'm only 27, but, you know, I've been doing the Christian thing since I was, you know, six. So I clearly, you know, I'm way past the Jesus blood part. No, we're not. 
I'm not, and we're not. The weight of his blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. And so now my wheels are starting to turn. I feel God starting to show me some things. And I was teaching at a, uh, like a youth event, like a youth conference back in October in Wenatchee, Washington. Wenatchee. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Hard to find, but if you can get there, cute little town, real cute. Um, And while I was there, I remember parts of my experience. I felt silly. It felt, it felt silly. Uh, For those of you who know me, uh, for the two of you who are part of Taylor was my co-leader and Mercy was in my youth group. So for you guys know that with youth group stuff and youth, I hated games. Remember, it's like the first thing I got rid of when I took over. I hate games. I hate doing like the, I think it's cheesy. I'm definitely wrong on this, by the way. This is just my opinion. I know a lot of really, I'm like, I'm missing it. Like, this is why I don't make for a great youth pastor long term. Because I can't like, I don't know how to like engage young people in the fun stuff. Again, I have this desire to just let's dive really deep. Like, let's skip three feet, four feet, five feet. Let's go to 12 feet into the pool. Like, that's where I'm at. But this guy, his name's Connor, and he's the youth pastor at Wenatchee. Terrific dude. And he's got this event set up. And I mean, it's dope. Like, if you're a young person, a full laser tag park set up inside the church, because it's a big old church. And he's got, like, a full laser tag thing set up. They did, like, uh, mini skate ramps and stuff like that out in the parking lot. They had, like, this big board, big wooden board, and gave all the kids spray cans, and they could just go and tag it up. And, like, really cool. I'm sitting here, I'm like, bro, man, that's not, I'm not here for this. And, like, Broken can attest. I was texting him. I was like, oh, man, this is the stuff. Because he and I both grew up of the same cloth. Like, he and I are cut from the cloth of youth groups where, we didn't really spend a ton of time goofing off around games. We had youth leaders that were like business. Like that's that. And it was good. He and I's lives were transformed by it, but this was not what we were used to at all. And then I come to find as I'm teaching over the, over the course of the weekend that I'm there, um, the second night I'm talking about, uh, Jesus um, protecting the dignity of, of the prostitute woman who is, who's threatened to being stoned. And uh, I have a couple words uh, that is pretty generic uh, that I just felt like might be um, relatable to the room for some of the young people. And part of me felt really silly sharing these words because I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, this is every youth event ever, right? This is what happens. They have some spiritual high, and I'm trying desperately to avoid the spiritual high. And as I'm thinking about this verse that we're in, the redemption through his blood, I was, God humbled me to remember that the experience these kids had at Wenatchee where this really simple stuff that I didn't think was, you know, I got really prideful to be totally honest. I was, you know, it's like, I don't need to be talking about this stuff, man. Give me the deep stuff. Give me the deep, like, I want to, I want to dive into the deep stuff. Let's get, let's get theologically heady. Let's get spiritually heady. And these kids, all they needed to hear was the message of his blood. And the reminder for me was, oh man, that's got to be enough. And so thinking about those Wenatchee kids as I was approaching this week, that, that was enough for them. 
it didn't, it didn't take a lot. The, the idea of being redeemed by the finished work of the blood of Jesus was enough. And that really started to stir in me uh, what I feel like is the word for us, but also the word uh, for us to send out, the, met, the word we have for culture, the, wor- the word we have for the world around us and for those around us. Um, and we see it a couple times in the text. The word accordance or according shows up a lot in this passage. Uh, fulfillment is also in, within the definition of, of accordance. And what I really like about this uh, is we have a word for the world with accordance, meaning with God's grace, as in we have an agreement with God. God has agreed over our lives that we are a part of the redemptive story. And again, I'm reflecting on some of this as, as I'm going through the week. And I realize it all starts with the blood of Jesus. We miss the redemptive story, the redemptive narrative we're invited to step into if we don't first regularly remember. This is why a lot of churches do communion every week. You know, we, for COVID purposes, we've obviously not done communion. But this is, this is literally what the Eucharist is for, is to remember the work of Jesus. And so as we're talking about redemption, I, I felt like that's our word. And we have a tendency, especially, and like I know most of you in the room, I've known most of you in the room for a while or for a couple of years. And it's, I'm, this isn't a shot at you, but we collectively all have been churched people for a long time. So at least this is for me we have a tendency to discount the weight of what his blood means. And so in doing so, we discount the, the word we have for the world. And we get really shy about what Jesus means. And not because we're ashamed of our faith per se, but because we kind of move past the weight of the blood of Jesus and what it means and what that signifies about God's love for the world and for his people and for people in general we discount the word that we have to give to the world. We think it's cheesy. We think there's religious stuff attached to it. We think there's a bunch of issues. When we come back to the blood of Jesus, the message is super, super clear. I love you enough to die to redeem you. That's good news. That's really good news. And it's not cheesy and it's not dumb. And like, I don't care that we live in Portland and people are post-religious like, as far as I'm concerned, history and science still says Jesus definitely ain't find no body yet. Like, this is accurate. This isn't wrong. This is true. And like, my faith says it's true, but also like, we can hang with the people who are skeptical and, and not to argue with them, but say, hey, this is truly good news. Like, this is really, really good news. But we have to experience that redemption. Ah, oh, man, I'm getting a little off track. I got to make sure I stay on, on, on track. We have to be in, we have to understand what it means that we are redeemed if we're going to share a redemptive story with the rest of the world. Which means, now, now we're there. We have to come back here a lot. There is nothing wrong. And this is, this is a word for me as much as it is for anyone else. Maybe it's just me. That's fine. 
We have to be willing to come back to the simple work of his blood if we're going to really step into the narrative of redemption for the rest of the world. See what I'm saying here? So when we talk about living a life of love in redemption, it's twofold. It's twofold. What I'm talking about is, one, we continually reflect on, what's it say? Uh, With all wisdom and understanding. Oh, sorry, right before that. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance, accordance again, that agreement with, in agreement with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. See, again, this is such good news. Like, this is not dumb, cheesy Christianity. Like, this is a really sharp guy, Paul, who used to be like the religious zealot. And he's sitting here talking about lavished, which in the Greek literally means abounding or overflowing. Like the redemptive work, the redemptive narrative of Jesus in our lives is meant to be overflowing. It is not cheesy to talk to your friends or talk to your coworkers or wherever you go about Jesus. It is not religious. It's not surfacy. Like, again, I know most of you in the room, y'all are deep. There is depth behind all of you. I'm not talking to some surface level baby Christians. Like you guys have experienced God in your own personal life, in community, whatever it might be. You have gone through the suffering and the celebration and the joy and the loss. You know God. Like I know it. So I feel like I can talk to you like this because I know that you know God. Right? So if we're overflowing and abounding, this lavish, right? This grace that he lavishes on us, our natural response, again, twofold. We have to sit long enough in the redemption of ourselves to be lavished in the grace, and it should overflow into the way that we testify to people around us. Now, I'll be really careful here as I say this. I use the word should Wow. Uh, I use the word should not as a way to like push or manipulate or be pushy. There's just not a better word I can think of. What I mean is if we are not naturally overflowing with a willingness to, and again, it doesn't have to be soapbox preach and it doesn't have to be, um, you know, real cheesy. Like, do you know Jesus? Like, I don't know. It's not how I've ever talked to people about Jesus, so I don't really know how to do it, but I, we all know it exists, right? We've all seen it. Most of us experienced it at one point in our lives, like those real cringy, like real cringy people who love the Lord, but man, their approach on like talking to people who don't know Jesus, whoo, tough. And not because they, their heart is in the right place, but man, they have spent zero time learning how to like build that bridge. So I'm not saying that you you should be doing that. I'm saying when we are actually really truly experiencing the lavish grace that he has for us in the redemption and the redemptive story he's doing in us, it will overflow. Should was the wrong word. Should says that's a religious approach. Should is you should do it because you've been this. But some of us maybe recently or 
just in the last year, however long, haven't really been sitting in the feeling of, man, God has lavished his grace and his redemption on us. And so the word today is, some of us might need to be, we, we may need to sit in that again. We may need to, to live a life of love. We need to sit in the love Jesus has for us and his redemptive story and that he's doing for us. For some of us, and a lot of us, again, seasoned Christians here, lots of veterans in the room, you know, not, I mean, a lot of us are just too afraid, a little too comfortable, and a little too sidetracked by other things going on in culture and the world that we haven't really just taken that risk of sharing the redemptive narrative. That's a different sermon. I'm not going to go any further into that. Let's look at verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. This is bad. I got to read my notes. That word according or accordance is in there again. The mystery God is making known to us, and this is why talking about sitting in, in your own redemption, overflowing into communi- telling the story of the redemption, this is key because the mystery Christ makes known to us is that we're part of the plan. This, the invitation right? It's not enough to just get saved, whatever that means, and then be a Sunday church goer who does the church thing on Sunday and sometimes during the week, depending on if you're in small group or whatever, and casually, you know, like a casual church goer, man, I want to bother me. Have a, tra- have a casual church goer, like, con- like consumer Christianity. Whoo doesn't make sense. Literally, literally, like, how? I don't understand it. But anyway, we are a part of the redemptive story. And this is why I'm juiced about this, because we are invited in the middle of being broken. For some of us who still need to sit in the lavish grace of God and have our redemption be retold to us again and, and saturated in that again. Or if you're the one who is stepping into a place of overflow and sharing and talking more about who Jesus is and communicating the redemptive story of God to the world. Regardless, the invitation to be part of the redemptive story, his mystery made known, is that even in the middle of our mess and our brokenness and our inability, and when we have to go back and forth between, uh, there's another verse in scripture that talks about, um, I think it's Paul, and he's talking about, you still need to be fed with milk when you should be having solid foods. And what he's talking about is like, you've been spiritual and Christians long enough, why do you still need the little stuff? But guess what? Even still in that, God's, God's purpose, his mystery made known to us is we're invited into the redemptive story. We're still invited into the redemptive story of God, regardless of where you are at, regardless of what we're going through right now. Whatever your life is and posture is, it can point to the redemptive narrative of Jesus. If you're going through the redemption that you need right now, when somebody else who doesn't know Jesus sees it, it points them to the redemptive story of God. If you're overflowing and you're sharing it, you're sharing about the redemptive story of God. The invitation to be a part of the redemptive narrative is all over. It's all over. 
It's all over us. It's all over everything that we do if we're aware of it. If we participate in it. If we're not in a place of overflow, maybe we just need to come a little broken. Maybe we just need to come a little humble. Maybe we need to let go of some of the things distracting us. If we're, out of a, if we're kind of getting towards that overflow spot, maybe it's just some fear, maybe a little anxiety, maybe a little uncertainty. Maybe a little uncertainty of, you know, I feel like this is where I'm at, but I'm really skeptical about some things. Well, then maybe we just need to ask more questions. Like, I know a lot of churches where it's not safe to ask questions. I don't think we've ever had a problem here where you can't safely ask Glenn. I would say me, but I, I know some of you won't take me up on it. But you can ask Glenn or ask me or ask Taylor Dixon um, <laughs> or Cindy or whoever, uh, you know, a father or mother of the house. You can ask a question with no judgment, no issues when we step into it. But the mystery of God being made known is the invitation to his redemptive story. Naomi, will you take me to the next slide so I don't forget what it is? Thanks. God's good pleasure. Uh, The next verse, I'm going to open up my Bible just so I don't have to go back and forth. Uh, The mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. His good pleasure is that we join, live, and participate in his redemptive story. The mystery and good pleasure of God is that we partake as his creation in the redemptive narrative of the earth, which is going to get us near to the end of this passage. His good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Again, fulfillment kind of falls in line with that accordance word or according. Uh, It's really easy for this to get read sometimes and be like, well, none of this happens I don't get redeemed and the people, why should I talk to people about Jesus or what redemptive narrative are you talking about? None of it matters until Jesus comes, right? Yes and no. Welcome to our theology. This is a vineyard church. We live in the both and. Jesus coming, dying, and resurrecting was the inauguration of the kingdom of God at hand. It has started. We are invited. Glenn's talked about being invited to the dinner table. It's, very, it's the same concept. We are invited to participate in the redemptive work that Jesus has begun. When it talks about fulfillment, it's not saying it's all moot, meaningless, and useless until Jesus comes back. No, not at all. It just means it's completion, it's summation, it's overall finished work is when Jesus comes back. Until then, until then, we participate out of his good pleasure in the redemptive work. Whether we are being redeemed or whether we are inviting people into the redemptive story of God. And here's the thing. It's really easy to make the Bible and the story of Jesus really, really cringy and like really cheesy. But when we talk about the redemptive narrative, man, that's good news. It's a good word for the world right now. It's not hard to look at the world and think, man, we could use some good news. And to treat this gospel like it's old, irrelevant, and no longer a need, or that we're post-Christianity, 
as long as there's Christians following Jesus who are disciples, I don't think we're post anything. We're not past any of it. There, that, this is as good a news as ever right now in the middle of a pandemic, an election with a lot of cloud over it, you know, all kinds of division, disunity, frustration, whatever. Morality is upside down. It's hypocrisy at best, defined by culture. Now more than ever, does this saying, hey, there's a Jesus and a God who wants to redeem and is stepping into, is inviting us to step into his redemptive purpose for the earth. Man, now more than ever, that feels really relevant. Because for however long that we've had structured societies and governments, they've been trying to get it right, and newsflash, it's still not right. And it's still not gonna be. It doesn't get better just because somebody won the presidential election. It might improve slightly in some areas and get worse in others, and then you're still going to have a bunch of division and disunity. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like a redeemed world. It doesn't look like a redeemed, purposeful earth. And that's where we close. And the last bit of this: to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The fulfillment of Jesus is the unity of earth and heaven. What does living a life of love in redemption look like for us? For those of us who still need to sit in the lavish grace of God, it's one, receiving that grace, and two, letting God, letting Jesus bring and unite our purpose on earth with our eternal purpose in heaven. It is both and. It is both incomplete and towards completion. For those of us who are overflowing, we preach a message and we share a message and we talk to our friends a message of God's redeeming work in the earth. This is the end goal. When they say, what is it? It's a, a heaven and earth that is together in unity. That creates a redempt, the redemptive story fulfilled is that all things are redeemed. All people are redeemed. The earth is restored to the way it's supposed to work. There is no racial division or ethnic uh, inequality. There's no uh, political parties and no government officials dictating. There's no dictatorships. There's no starvation. There's no hunger. We're talking about redeemed in total. This is the story we're inviting people into. It's worth sharing. It's good news. So with that, I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, I think you guys have one more, right? You guys want to come up? Uh, two last thoughts. I know that this series is uh, what we would call, this is a little nerdy, but what we would call expository, like an expository sermon or series, as in we're just going straight through a book of the Bible and just, just going through that as opposed to topical. But we do have a theme or a topic within um, the expository narrative of, of this series, which is the living a life of love. We are deeply, deeply, deeply loved by God. I, I can't express in enough words, because we'll never know and neither will I, how deeply we are loved by Jesus. We are deeply, deeply loved by Jesus. It's evident in his work on the cross. This is again, reflecting on his blood. It's easy to forget the relevance 
But if you sit long enough with Jesus' work on the cross again, it becomes really relevant again really fast. And that may sound super simple. And I know for, at least for me, sitting with it again, having done the Christian thing for 20 years, it's like, why am I doing this? I know this. I know this story, right? I know how this story goes. That's how we treat it. But you sit with it long enough, slow down with it long enough, it'll start to get you again. Starts to get me again every time. And once it has, it settles in my mind and my heart that the God who needed to sacrifice himself through his son still in the middle of it invites a broken, fractured, disjointed humanity into his redemptive purpose. Just as we are. He took it on himself to finish this, the stuff, to atone for the things that we will continue to do wrong. And we read this again like it's old, like it's this old story that's not relevant. No, no, no. The finished work of Jesus on the cross and the blood is this continuous atonement for the things we will continue to do wrong. <laughs> even in our effort, even in our best effort to live lives that reflect Jesus well. And so the sheer weight that in the middle of that, God knowing it, he invites us, a broken and fractured people, into his redemptive purpose and says, right where you are is enough. We'll work on that stuff. We'll, that, you know, those insecurities, those issues in the past, those things that you got going on right now, those addictions or, you know, that, that anger that you issue that you've got or <clears throat> those doubts that you have about my word and what I say in scripture, we're working on that. Let's work on that together. That doesn't exclude you from the redemptive story. It doesn't exclude you from being redeemed yourself or from being a part of the redemptive story of God. So I feel like that's the invitation. And the other part is redemption should There's that word should again. Sorry, let me toss that out. Redemption in us evokes a response. And Jesus' invitation, at least, is the response is a whole life response. My job, what I say, who I talk to about certain things, what what I say and what I talk about with people what I do when no one is looking, how I think, what I say behind closed doors about other people, all of it, whole, wholesale. It evokes a response. It evokes a whole life response. A redeemed life evokes a whole life response. So I'll pray and we'll, we'll uh, sing one more. Sound good? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.